Hello, friends, and welcome to this week's message. We're going to be talking today about the goodness of God. We've spoken uh, the first week about the plan of God, His grand purpose to create us and allow us the freedom uh, of meaningful relationship with Him, that relationship of mutual love, His great gift to free people to love their God back. And then we discussed His greatness and the fact that He has the power to do what He promised to do. And then last week, our friend Leif Hetland spoke so tenderly about the father, hearts, uh, the father heart of God and how he loves his people. And today I want to investigate this idea of the goodness of God. And the, the real issue is the question that sits in most of our hearts is, is God really good? And I think that if we asked most people, they would probably say, if you, if you put them to the test, do you think God is good? They would probably say God is good because they think it's the right answer or maybe they heard it somewhere in a message. But the real question that we have to all answer deep inside our own hearts is, do I believe God is actually good? Because inside where no one else sees, when I get quiet and honest with myself, do I really believe that God is good? And for many people, our experiences in our lives form our theology. Life has given us a lot of joys, but uh, for many of us, it's also thrown some tragedy our way, perhaps pain or suffering or misery. And all sorts of theories then get developed uh, and they emerge trying to explain this tension between the truth that God is very good and the fact that sometimes those we consider to be nice people experience very bad things. And for most of us, those bad experiences have planted in our hearts and minds a seed of doubt. And to make matters worse, uh, people sometimes who represented the church piled on accusation and condemnation, saying to us, actually, this is God's will. This is worse. This is God's doing that these terrible things have happened to you because God is angry and he wants you to suffer. Now, and all these things work together to whisper a lie. God is not as good as you think He is. Or at least it whispers a lie and that settles in our hearts. I don't think that God is good. Now, some people came to Jesus when tragedies happened in His day and they asked Him a question about this. They went exactly to the heart of this. Jesus, tell us, this is surely these people's sin. So let's go to Luke chapter 13 and let me start reading from verse 1. Now, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or do you think that those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all those people living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. There are two current issues here that, that are brought up. One is by the people who are questioning Jesus. They started the conversation. And the other one is brought up by Jesus. And in both of these illustrations, people died with little warning or no clear or, or apparent just reason. One is an event uh, that is hidden and not recorded anywhere else. Because if you, if you try and go find this in the other historians, they don't mention it. It, it seems like uh, some people had come from Galilee to Jerusalem to offer their sacrifices. And while they were in the process of cutting up the sacrifices, they themselves were set upon and Herod's soldiers killed them so that their blood was mingled with the blood of their sacrifices. 
Now this to the Jews was a terrible evil, a horrible thing, and that your blood was sacrificed with, with animal blood. And it was considered a great dishonor and an offense by the Jews. And so this prompted this great discussion about how gross their sin must have been that it warranted this kind of judgment from heaven. For surely, if these people were not such great sinners, God would not have done this terrible thing to them. And Jesus says, they weren't any worse sinners than anybody else in Galilee. It's got nothing to do with their sin. This horrible thing, this tragedy that befell them had not to do with God's wrath against their sin. And in the second event, uh, apparently a wall of the tower around the pool of Siloam had collapsed and it had killed 18 people. And presumably those were the people there that were lying on mats in the hopes that when the waters of the pool of Siloam were stirred, that if they got into the water, they may be healed. And so some people, it prompted them to have this discussion that, well, you know, they were already under the curse of God because of the sickness. And now obviously God's judgment had overflowed into their life and God had resolved to show his displeasure on their lives even more. And he killed 18 of them just to prove his wrath. Now, in both these instances, people ascribed this evil, this tragedy to God and his judgment on those people. It's the wrath of God, they said. And friends, legalism always does this. It always elevates those people who are proud of their own spiritual efforts and allows them to look down on other people who they think have not tried as hard as they have or who haven't adhered to their preferred set of standards. And then they use God as a pulverizing club to bash behaviors they don't enjoy. This is the way of legalists. And Jesus says to the people, they do not equate this tragedy with divine judgment. He says that the victims did nothing wrong. In, in other words, that nothing they did caused their demise. Because this idea that we have, even in modern day, that tragedies are an act of God is not very accurate at all, as is demonstrated in these stories. But Jesus gives a very pragmatic uh, kind of uh, response to them. He characterizes life as capricious and nasty and brutal and short sometimes. And perhaps that life's fragility gives an urgency and a poignancy to the moment. Jesus is just making a statement. He turns his attention away from those disasters. And he says, then don't worry about them. Turn the questions away from the disaster or what the victims did wrong or the why questions that arise in your mind. And he leaves all of that behind and he addresses the people who are there. See, Solomon had written in Ecclesiastes 9 verse 11, I've seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift, nor the battle is not to the strong, nor does food come to the wise, or wealth come to the brilliant, or favor just to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. And so the question is, if life is so capricious or perilous or volatile, what can we do? And Jesus said in response to this that we can take a change of mind. Stop viewing these things as the wrath of God, as judgment. Turn around from that thinking. Repent of that way of thinking, Jesus said. Unless you repent, you will also perish, Jesus said. And you'd be amazed at what an immense transformation can happen to you when you believe something different. 
I'm not just talking about a, a psychological mind trick, but when you re release a lie and you embrace a truth, that truth has the power to set you free. You'll be astounded at what happens when you begin to believe what is true because suddenly God meets you in the middle of that truth and His power is unlocked in your life. But when you believe a lie, God's power does not come into your life to reinforce that lie. So Jesus tells these people who are asking Him the story that all of us need to repent. We, we need to stop blaming God for a tragedy that fell on these people. See now, when Jesus said this, we need to all repent. The Jews were offended by the idea they had to repent. Because after all, we're God's chosen people. Doesn't God owe us something? I mean, He has to bless us. We're His chosen people. But Jesus leaves this out there. And I want to suggest to you, friends, to myself, we all need to take a fresh mind, to take a fresh perspective about the goodness of God. Because if, we will, if we'll start to believe that God is evil, it'll ruin and affect our entire life. But when we come into line with what the Bible says about God, that He's good and upright, then we begin to relate to Him like that and His power is unlocked in our life. So I want to say, dare to believe that God is good. Dare to believe God is good. We all have to take a new mind on these things. We have to stop believing God is angry and vengeful and full of wrath and barely controlling His anger and His contempt for us. And we have to start believing what the Scriptures teach, that He's good and patient and full of love and faithful and tender-hearted and near. The only true answer that I have found to the challenges that all people face is to believe in what God says, that He is good. And right here, we all need to do exactly what Jesus said, take a new mind on this, because this is where life happens and where sometimes really bad things happen to really good people for no apparent reason. And it's easy to believe in those moments the lies that these bad things were the result of the wrath and the anger of God against some deficiency in the people involved. But it's time for us to believe what the Bible says beyond the beer and pretzel theologies that abound. You know, the beer and pretzel theology after the fourth beer at a bar, some guys chewing pretzels and drinking beer turns to you and says, let me, let me tell you about how, what, what the real meaning of life is. We have to get past that. We have to get past how we feel our own emotions. We have to start believing what the Bible says. Because what we believe can become a shield for us. And our faith is the real shield that can keep us from some of those tragedies. It is a very practical help to us because I've seen many people avert danger that was near or destroy danger who had its hold on their life uh, because they put their faith in the goodness of God. And even some of those who've had to suffer the worst imaginable things in life, when they've clung to the goodness of God, it has been able to bring them through whole in pain, but whole. Now, 1 Peter 4 and verse 5 says, 1 Peter 1 says this, this inheritance, talking about our inheritance as believers, is kept in heaven for us, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed at this last time. Your faith in the goodness of God, what you believe, and if it's true about God when you believe it, it forms like a shield around you. It is a shield against the harshness of life.
God knows how to rescue His people from trials. As 2 Peter 2.9 says, The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. So there is a difference between those who believe in God's goodness and those who don't. If you believe in God's goodness as an active something that you do, you'll find that that faith will shield you and God will keep you from those harmful things. So let me just say, because I've said, I dare you to believe what, what the Bible says. So let me just talk to you about some of what the Bible says about God's goodness. There are so many scriptures about how good God is that it's hard to decide which ones we should include in this short time. But believing what the Bible says about the fact that God is good makes all the difference in the world. So let's have a look at some of those scriptures that speak directly to His goodness. When Moses asked God to show him his glory, God responded by passing by in front of Moses and declaring to him his name, which was outlining the essential characteristics of his nature. That means that the glory of God is found in his nature. Who he is is utterly amazing and awesome. And God said, Moses said, show me your glory. And God said, I'll pass by you and I'll tell you who I am. That is my glory. And so in Exodus 34, verse 6, it says, And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. Abounding in goodness. See, if God was not as good as He is, we would not be around because human beings would long ago have provoked a less good God to destroy us all. God reveals Himself as that kind of God, abounding, overflowing, absolutely abundant in goodness. This is who I am, Moses, is what God essentially is saying. This is me. In Psalm 145, verse 9, the psalmist writes, The Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies are over all His works. God is good to all because He is good. See, just as Jesus said in Luke 6.33, If you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. God is good to all because He is good. He doesn't differentiate between those people who love Him and those who don't. But those who do believe in Him and who love Him and who press into Him, they find that He shields them because it's their faith in Him that shields them. God's goodness is even towards those who hate Him. And it's not without limit though. And it's not without eventual consequences. But God is loving and God is good to everybody. Psalm 25 verse 8. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, He instructs sinners in His way. So this realization that God is good and always does what is good means that for those who are constantly and willfully evil and hateful and vile, that God's goodness will eventually require that He deal with them. But we will stop ascribing bad things to the good God. We will ascribe goodness to the good God. 
in, even though sometimes our circumstances will, will play at, well, God hasn't been good to you here. No, my friends, circumstances and some things happen. The, the things that are common to men, the ills that plague us all will happen to you whether you're a believer or not. The question is, what do you believe in that moment? And I choose to believe what the scriptures say that God is good and upright and He instructs sinners, even those who are anti Him, He will instruct them in the way if they just open their ears to Him. Why don't you open your ears today to the Lord? If you'd come to Him and ask Him, He'll instruct you because He's that good. James 1 verse 17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Every good and perfect gift, that's from God. That never changes. He's impervious to changing circumstances and the latest vogues. He's good. That's why everything He gives is good and perfect. And so when something comes into your life that is good and perfect, you say, that's an act of God. That's what James is saying. That's the act of God. Every good and perfect gift, that's from God. Every evil and vile thing, that's not God. It's as simple as that. Now, the first thing that the devil got mankind to, to understand was, and to get them to avoid God, was that he called into question the goodness of God. In Genesis 3.1, he said, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? See, that first agreement with the idea that God wasn't good was the start of all our troubles. The reason, basically the enemy said, the reason that God doesn't want you to eat from the tree is because if you eat from the tree, you'll be like Him. But the, but the bottom line truth is that mankind was already created right in the image of God. We were already like Him. But the enemy cast that into doubt and said, God is a little bit threatened by you and He's not really that good. And so when they believed that lie, the moment mankind stepped off this idea that God is good, all our problems started. And if we want to get back on track, if we want to walk in a real relationship with God, if we want life to come back into order, it starts with us believing this truth that God is absolutely and always good. In order for us to come back to God and to find peace and to find rest with Him, we have to address the truth in our own heart of the goodness of God. And we have to repent from the view that He is anything else but perfectly good. See, when we say God is immutable, it means that He's not capable or susceptible to change. In fact, any change in God's person, in His beauty, would be a diminishment by definition and the loss of His Godhead. But Jesus has committed Himself to being exactly who He is in character and practice, and He'll never change. The Father will never change. He is good. That's why every perfect gift comes down from Him, and the Scripture affirms He does not change like shifting shadows. A perfectly good God has no limits or boundaries to His goodness. Now, if God had one single character flaw or was prone to maybe violent outbursts or quick to anger and, and He could not change, we would be in trouble. But He can be counted on to be exactly the same, always brilliantly good and faithful and loving. You were born again, and you, or you can be born again if you're not in order for God to reestablish His plan for your life. 
Because you, my friend, were called to live in the, in the favor of God and to experience the goodness of God and bear much eternal fruit. God did not create mankind so that He could judge them. God created mankind so that we could experience His beauty in a love relationship. Now, this treasure that you and I experience the goodness of God is not something that we can earn by our sweat of our brow or, or we, we can't earn His goodness and we can't receive the right to have a taste of His goodness by our own hard work. We receive that right. We're qualified for that inheritance because we believe what God says about Himself and that faith qualifies us along with its corresponding actions and it will let us all begin to experience his ongoing goodness. So you say, Greg, I'm in. I really want to understand. I want to taste. I want to know the goodness of God. How can I grow in this understanding? What can I do to help me grow in this understanding? Well, let me say this number one. I dare you. I dare you to believe and draw near to Him. See, coming to God and expecting Him to be exactly who He said He is, is a key way to honor Him. He loves it when people draw near to him and say, you said you're good, so I'm, I'm going to believe you. See, that, that sense of faith, that sense of I'm going to take you at your word, I'm going to believe what you say, that always pleases God. He's immensely pleased with it. In fact, he called Abraham his close friend because Abraham dared to believe what God was saying, even though from Abraham's perspective, what God had promised him seemed absolutely impossible. But God loved it when Abraham said, you know what? I'm going to believe you. And he'll love it in the same way if you do the same thing. You know what? I'm just going to dare to believe that you are that good. Psalm 147 verse 11 in the Living Bible says, God's joy is in those who fear Him, in those who expect Him to be loving and kind. God finds delight in people who come to Him and expect Him to be loving and kind. Those people who come expecting the goodness of God will find the delight of God and taste and experience that goodness. Don't come guarded. Don't come full of fear of retribution or scared that, he, he, scared that in case you hear God, it'll be terrifying or expect His judgment. Come boldly because that's what He invited you to do. Come expecting His kindness and His goodness because He loves it when you do. I dare you to come and believe that He is telling the truth about Himself and to act on that. Tell Him, Lord, You are astoundingly good, so that's why I'm here. That's what David said when he sinned. He said, Lord, it's because You're this good that I'm, I've come. When, when, when God promised David a covenant, He said, God, You're just so amazingly good. That's why I found the courage to come sit right here in Your presence. And I want to say to you, my friends, I just want to dare you to believe and draw near. Dare to believe and draw near. The second thing I want to suggest to you is that you have to learn, you have to cultivate this habit of ignoring all other ideas and voices. See, there is an enemy of your soul that would love to steal this solid ground out from underneath you. For if he can do that, he knows that you'll have no solid place to stand. You'll have no firm conviction without hope and without God in the world. That idea, that thing that the enemy has seen so brought such a powerful destruction to mankind, 
He's going to try sell you the same lie. Do you really think God is that good? I think God's a little bit devious. I think God's a little bit threatened. I think God's a little bit less than good. That lie will destroy your life. So you have to make it your enemy. And oh, I'm telling you, circumstances are going to arise and people are going to point out circumstances and tragedies and come ask you for your opinion, just as they did for Jesus. Give us your explanation and tell us a comment on this. And I think... Uh, you can say, honestly, I don't know why those things happen and why they happen to those specific people. But this I do know uh, it didn't happen to them because of God's wrath or, or the judgment of God. Those are not the kinds of answers we're called upon to supply. But what we can focus on is the immutability of the goodness of God. See, David wrote this in Psalm 27 verse 13. I would have lost heart if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. See, this, uh, this faith, I, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to see God's goodness while I'm living on this planet. That faith is like an underpinning for our souls. David said, I would have lost my footing. I would have lost my heart. I would have given up if I hadn't known. I, if something deep on the inside of me hadn't said, I know God is good. And I'm putting my faith out there. I would have lost heart unless I'd believed in the goodness of God. So I'm going to say to you, fight for this understanding and fight for this truth, daring to believe it in the face of life's ups and downs. And soon all you're going to see, if you believe this, all you're going to see is how good the Lord is being to you. Of course, God is sovereign. Of course, He's going to sort out the good from the bad when He wraps up your ministry. Of course, He's going to judge some people according to how they've acted. Of course, He's going to have to punish some people for the heinous things that they've done uh, to others and in rebellion to Him. And, and even though they flagrantly abused and belittled His goodness to, to them. But right now, God is being extremely patient with us all. And that's why the Scriptures say, as Jesus did, call on God now while He's near. Perhaps you've never met the Lord and perhaps you've never heard that He is good. But today I want to offer you the same offer that David the great psalmist made to everybody in Psalm 34 verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the person who trusts in Him. Now we started this discussion today in Luke 13 and I want to just end it there because when Jesus finished answering their questions about who sinned, these people or, or their parents, or why did these tragedies befall them, He told a little parable. In Luke 13 verse 6 He continues and He said, uh, A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard and he went uh, to look for any fruit on it, but he did not find any. So He said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, then you can cut it down. See, God's kindness and patience with all of us is proof of His goodness. But the call goes out to all of us. What are you doing about Jesus before He calls time? And you can begin a journey today with God if you're ready to make a change and if you want to have Him in your life and a, a simple prayer, which I will pray in just a little while, will be a great start to us. And if you want to pray that prayer because you understand a little bit of what Jesus was saying, look, let's give Him another shot. We've been coming. There hasn't been any fruit. They've been hearing us. They've been drinking in the goodness. They've been drinking in the rain. They've been blessed by God, but they haven't shown any fruit. Well, let's give Him another season. Let's give Him another shot. 
And maybe you understand, maybe you know intuitively that's where you are. God's giving you another shot. My friends, I just want to appeal to you. Be reconciled to God. Give your life to Him. Come and receive His goodness. Because it's not because He wants to bind your life up. It's because He wants you to realize how magnificently good He is. And He wants you to taste that goodness in your life. Won't you you pray this prayer with me if that's what you want to do? Let's pray together. Lord, please forgive my sin. I'm drawing near to you. I just dare to believe you are really as good as Greg has said. And so here I come. Please forgive me. I've messed up my life. I need you in my life. I need you to transform my whole being. So I welcome you in, Lord Jesus. I believe that you are God's son. I believe you paid on my behalf. And I just put my faith in you. Turn my life around, Lord, and transform me from this moment on. In Jesus' name, I mean what I pray. Amen and amen. If you pray that prayer, please write us at admin at Northlands Church and we'd love to send you a welcome pack. It's got a Bible and some some messages and some things that will help you on your walk with the Lord. Get further down the road of faith. Um, And I'm just excited for you. What you prayed there is a magnificent prayer and it really is the beginning of a massively transformed life. Now, for those people who are wanting to go a little further uh, than this message during the week, I've added some scriptures. Uh, they are really uh, opportunities for you to confess the scriptures clearly and plainly because the scriptures describe the goodness of God. Now, I dare you to spend each day of the week thinking about one of these scriptures and speaking them out aloud until you begin to believe them. They'll be a God for you against any of the challenges that come and they will have radical power to change your life. If you want something to practice this week in your life, uh, and or if you don't understand some of the current events, I want to challenge you. Go and meditate on these scriptures and say them out loud like you believe them by faith. And they will have the power to transform your life. Those scriptures are found on the website and they'll be in a PDF. It's very simple scriptures, just a single little verse each day. But I think you'll find they have power to transform you. God bless you. It's been a delight to be with you through this series. We look forward to seeing you again next week.